Hello and welcome to the Bright Morning Podcast. I'm Elena Aguilar. Okay, so have you ever faced resistance when you were facilitating PD? We have, and in this final episode of our Transformational PD mini-series, I am joined by my teammate, Maria Dislin, to discuss and demonstrate how you can navigate resistance as a facilitator before, during, and after your PD sessions. And so you will hear us talk through some specific scenarios that are probably going to be familiar to you. You'll hear our tips for what you can do, again, to prevent resistance as well as deal with it in the moment and address it afterwards. And so this episode is full of specific tips and strategies and things that you will be able to use when you are facilitating. Before we jump into the episode, I do want to shout out a friend of the show, Graham C. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And folks, finally, if you find this episode helpful, then would you do me a favor and share it with somebody, a friend, a colleague, someone who might find this useful. All right, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, Maria, to the Bright Morning Podcast. I'm so glad that you could join me for this conversation about resistance. I am thrilled to be here today. So we're going to jump right in. And I want to begin by reminding our listeners of the mini series that came out in the beginning of 2023, which was about how to deal with resistance. You'll find the links to those episodes in the show notes. But I want to just remind everyone of a few key concepts. The first key concept is that when you experience what you think about as resistance, you're really experiencing someone else's fear. And so when someone demonstrates behaviors like arguing or refusing to engage or rejecting your offers of support or withdrawing or complaining or behaving just compliantly, those behaviors are very often an indicator of fear and particularly of fear of a core human need not being met or being endangered. The core human needs are belonging, autonomy, mastery or competence, genuine self-esteem, trust, and purpose. And again, I recorded three episodes where I dig deeply into all of this. And where I dig deeply into, okay, so what do you do when you encounter resistance or fear? Let's keep remembering that resistance is fear. And so very briefly, those five steps are, first, you've got to explore your own fear. Second, you've got to activate your compassion. Third, activate your curiosity. Four, stay in relationship with the other person. And five, use the ACE coaching framework. So I'm going through this really quickly because hopefully it's just sparking these connections and reminding you. And those episodes 
are really about how do you respond to one individual's resistance or fear. In this episode, Maria and I are going to talk about how to respond to resistance when it shows up in a group, in a team, when you are facilitating your leadership team or you're facilitating a PD session or another group kind of meeting. What do you do in those moments? Now, before we dive and demonstrate some of what you can do, I want to first invite you to think about three entry points. There is before you facilitate something, there's during, and there's after. So those are three opportunities to respond to the resistance that you anticipate or the resistance that you experience. So before, during, and after. I'm going to just give you a few tips quickly, and then I'll invite Maria to share her input here. But let me start off with the before. So if you are really intentional when you are designing a meeting or a PD session, you can minimize the amount of resistance or fear that you face. And a few ways of doing that are by offering learner surveys, so letting people give input into the meeting or the PD session, you can be very clear and explicit about the purpose for the meeting, the data points that suggest that that meeting topic needs to be discussed or explored. You can also connect with staff members or people who are really influential ahead of time and get their buy-in, answer their questions, get them on board ahead of time. So there's a whole set of things that you can do before a meeting to minimize the amount of fear or resistance that you encounter. A lot of times when you're designing a meeting agenda, you can sort of visualize that one team member you can see them, right? They're sitting there and like, you can see their face getting more closed down and their arms folding, right? So if you can visualize that when you are planning a meeting, then that's a great indicator that if you go and have a conversation with that person, you might be able to minimize whatever might come up for them. Let me pause and Maria ask you if anything else jumped into your mind about things that you can do before to minimize resistance. You hit on many of them, but one I'd like to come back to and add additional thinking to is adult learning principles and the need for adults to really understand the why behind what you are asking them to engage in or do or carry forward. And so for me, being really clear around the what, the purpose and the why in conjunction often helps me in advance to going into a staff meeting, a professional learning session, the better I can articulate that the better I think adults will be able to see how it fits within everything else we're doing. Yeah, that's really great because a couple of things you said is first, I heard you say, I need to be really clear on it. And I think that's so important, right? Is for the facilitator or the leader to be like, I know exactly why we're doing this, why we're having this conversation. And then you also said to the purpose and the relevance and how it's connected to everything else, because that's one of the things where sometimes you can feel some 
pushback or resistance or fear when creators feel like, oh, here's some new discrete topic that we're talking about. And here's the topic of the month. Or it must be that the district said you had to talk about this. And so being able to show the authentic, genuine, relevant meaning, purpose behind doing something or saying something will minimize resistance, minimize fear. Yeah. And thinking also about timing and context. So thinking about what am I being asked to move forward or what am I seeing within our organization that I believe we need to address? Thinking about the most optimal conditions that I can create for that dialogue so that people feel psychologically safe enough and open to give that authentic feedback. I think this is so great because what you're talking about And what I'm talking about is so much of what we dig into in our Art of Coaching Teams workshop and in Artful Design and Facilitation, which I am deep, deep in the revision of that workshop because we've now designed it to be a three-day workshop and it really fits the PD book now. And so I am really deep in that. And I'm like, yes, you can do so much in how you design PD sessions and in how you set up team meeting spaces to drastically reduce the kind of fear expressions that are hard to deal with. I said minimize, and I said that multiple times because you can minimize, you can maybe prevent, you can, but sometimes you still do face people's fears because we are human beings and human beings have fears and we have these core human needs. And so during a meeting, There's a couple of things that I want to just quickly talk about. There is the individual sort of pushback you can get or resistance. And then there's sort of when it starts feeling like it's the whole group, the majority of people, right? And so there's different strategies that we can take, whether it's an individual or a group. For me, when I see it being an individual, I can approach that person either sort of quietly on the side or perhaps sometimes with the whole group and say, I'm hearing you have some really important questions coming up for you and concerns. Let's talk right after this meeting so we can set a time for us to meet and talk about this, right? So sort of saying like, I hear you and let's follow up. So when it's the majority of the people, that's a little bit of a different situation. When it's the majority of people pushing back, I think when I see facilitators dealing with that and it starts getting really problematic, it's because the facilitator hasn't stopped and named, okay, something's coming up. Let's hit pause on the agenda and let's just take five minutes to actually determine our next steps. It might be that something needs to be talked about in the moment. It might be, for example, that people's fear is surfacing because the instructions are unclear, or it's an overwhelming amount of tasks to engage in. I know sometimes I have faced pushback from a whole group when my learning design wasn't good. And what people were saying was, this is too much. How about, and they were making great suggestions, but they made those suggestions because I said, let's hit pause. This isn't working. What's coming up? Let's see if we can brainstorm what to do. So that's a couple of strategies when the pushback is more around the content or it's more something like once I had a whole group of people push back around some equity work we were doing, they were demonstrating a lot of fear, a lot of discomfort, 
And I had to really hit pause on the agenda and the content so that I could redesign what we were doing and how we were doing it so I could get buy-in from people, so I could get more buy-in from the supervisors who were asking me to do this. And so there's different approaches to responding to resistance when it comes up, depending on whether it's an individual or a group. So Maria, let me stop there and see if you have anything to add about strategies you've used. Yeah, one of them kind of links the before and the during using something such as a parking lot where people have a place that you can redirect thoughts to that aren't pertinent in the moment and that are particular to an individual or a few people. I've used and had success with what's resonating, what's making you curious, what's giving you pause so that there's really invitation in all of those areas to give feedback. And then I also think about If it's a large amount of people practicing humility in that moment, as you were saying, to be able to pause and then just give space for processing. Maybe in that processing, what surfaces is that it's something that was a misunderstanding or misinterpretation of what I conveyed or something that needs to be explored more deeply. And then that adaptive facilitation, making those decisions in the moment to figure out where to go next. Initially in my career, when I was leading in those situations, I'd get really nervous and take things very personally. And I think that led me to sometimes responding very defensively. And so with the learning around the art of coaching teams and onward is helped me to realize is that it's not about me and that there is space between stimulus and response. And so really empowering myself to not give in to urgency and to really pause and consider that these are human beings in this space who are communicating something. Yeah, that's such a really valuable and important point to make, to bring in is humility. And what I hear you saying is in the beginning, your own fears came up, right? Your core human needs of mastery or competence were feeling endangered, perhaps your sense of belonging. And I know that was the case for me too. I think for me, what I now see as something that really contributed to the growth of the resistance or the fear was that I recognized the signs of discontent. I could see the body language. I could hear the comments and I ignored it. I just get pushing on. I was like, you think you're going to derail me? No, you're not. We're going to keep going. And I could just see it growing. And if I had just stopped or if I had had some conversations with people, there might have been points that were just, I think, as you said, things that weren't clear, misunderstanding. I think I could have slowed down the pace of what I was doing. And again, I wasn't checking in on my own fear responses, on what was coming up for me in the face of what I perceived as resistance, which was this threat to, you know, how can I be a good coach or a good leader? This is about my competence and my taking it personally, but also just feeling really sort of threatened in terms of my emerging identity as a leader when I was first starting to do PD and lead teams. And so how do you respond to resistance? First step, check in with your own fear. What is coming up for you? And then when you see it starting to percolate, don't ignore it. (laughs) Sometimes it's really powerful to say, 
hey, something doesn't feel right in this session or in this conversation. Can we hit pause for a minute and just talk about what's going on? One of the things that stuck out to me in the Resistance podcast was a visual that you created where you asked us to imagine somebody who's pushing against your hand and that the instinct is just to push back and what would happen if you don't, right? And that's that resistance. If we are perceiving it and fighting back, it can escalate and get bigger. When we embrace it and soften up, we can sometimes perceive it in a different way. And that requires an immense amount of self-awareness and in a staff really thinking about the emotional intelligence as well and creating a space where we can all name what's happening in a way that's not judged or perceived as weak, but actually as strength. Both of us are talking about the self-awareness that we need to do, the inner work, the reflection on our way of being and our beliefs so that when we show up and so that when we engage in the behaviors or the actions of leadership or team meeting facilitation, we're doing that really conscious and clear about who we are, where we're at, what's present for us. I have another question I'm curious about. Sometimes we can experience resistance that seems sort of passive or passive aggressive, like people just checking out people, you know, picking up their phones and scrolling through a popular social media site or something. And then there's the more aggressive people, right? People who will raise their hand or sometimes not raise their hand and say, I just don't understand why we are doing this today. We really need to talk about the kids behavior, not about academic literacy. So there's this sort of like checking out, disengaging, withdrawing, and then there's the people who hijack the meeting. I'm curious if you think about that differently and then what your responses are, how you respond differently to the person who's just scrolling on social media versus, you know, saying we should stop this meeting. It goes back to the conditions. And I think about to what degree or not have I sufficiently created working agreements that clarify for people the ways that we will be together when we are doing this work? If I have done that well, then hopefully some of those more passive things are minimized. But I also see it when it happens as communication. My natural inclination would not be to go and make that public, just like I wouldn't do that to students in front of their peers. So I would want to try to figure out some sort of opportunity, whether it's during a processing time, to do a quick check-in with that individual or individuals to remind them of the working agreements that we had established or to check in to see if maybe there's an emergency happening that I'm not aware about and I'm going up the ladder of inference about why they're on their phone that could be the case as well. And when it's more obvious, I have at times paused the group to just reground us in our working agreements, to acknowledge that we are talking about a topic that's surfacing passion, emotion, that there are always other things that we will and need to talk about, but not at this time. And just listen. Yeah. So Again, those are things that we dig into in the Art of Coaching Teams workshop and not just the understanding of, but the actual, how do you implement these structures? How do you engage people in community agreements? What do you do when they break down? And so in the, how do you respond to resistance? There's such an overlap between it's about your design and facilitation and how you facilitate the team. Okay. We're going to talk about the after, and then we're going to jump into some demonstrations. So the after, I'm just going to briefly mention a couple of ideas, which is this 
following up with the resistant people. Doing that quickly, one of the big pitfalls is waiting too long. Because again, remember, someone is saying, I'm afraid. I'm feeling fear. I'm feeling like who I want to be, what, how I want to be, the connections I want to have might be in danger. So attend to that quickly. But you might also need to follow up with people in power who didn't set you up to be successful. Maybe your supervisors or somebody in a positional power role. And so maybe you need to follow up to get their support and their buy-in, their clarity. And then another key after activity is the reflection that you do about yourself. That's something that we've been talking about, the exploring your own fears, your own core human needs, and really being honest with yourself about your skill set and where you need to refine that skill set to take responsibility for what's going on. Because when you experience resistance or fear, you play some role in that whether it's because of how you designed the session or how you communicated something or how you set up the structures or your own reaction, the way that you were emotionally activated by what happened, but you play some role. There's always something else you can do. Maria, let me just see if you have anything else to throw into that, what you can do after. I think about the mind the gap tool in two ways. One, for my own self-reflection of what gap areas surfaced for me in that presentation, in the delivery, in the meeting? And what is that telling me that I might need to think about, reflect on, or change and plan moving forward? And also through what was happening with the collective. What was contributing to what I was perceiving as resistance, that emotion or that fear that was coming through? Was it a skill gap? Was it a competence, a capacity gap? Those can be insights that steer me away from judging and more towards understanding. Mm, yeah. As soon as we go into judgment, we're just shut down from learning. So that is a great tool. And we'll link that in the show notes also to provoke that reflection about, okay, so this is what happened. What might this mean that I need to work on or learn or what can I work on? Okay. So those were some suggestions for before, during, and after when you experience resistance or fear. And now Maria and I are going to demonstrate a few scenarios. And the first one is going to be a scenario in which I know that Maria is likely to be resistant to the new initiative that we are rolling out this school year. And I know that she is also influential amongst teachers. And so I have scheduled a time to meet with her before the team meeting so that I can see how much resistance can be prevented. So we're going to jump into just maybe five to seven minutes of what that conversation might sound like. And that jump in will be to the beginning of the meeting. So Maria, I'm so glad you could meet with me. As you know, in a couple of weeks in our first whole staff meeting of the year, our whole September meeting, I am going to be introducing the initiative that the leadership team and I worked through last spring that we determined was going to be the best 
program that would meet the needs of our students this year. And so that's coming up. And I know that you heard about this last spring and that you had some concerns last spring. So I just want to see before we go too much deeper into this, sort of how are you feeling about it now? And are the, do those concerns still feel really relevant to you? You know, we've changed a lot. We've been asked to change curriculum in math and literacy. And we all know that we are also needing to support students with social emotional competencies. I just don't think this is the right time for people to take on more. I want to feel like I'm doing something well before I add on more new. And it's the beginning of the year. Like that's something really heavy and overwhelming that teachers are not ready to jump into this quick. I really appreciate you sharing that and helping me understand where you're at. I'm hearing just the overwhelm and the, and I think the desire to just start off the school year in a way that feels more, I don't know, familiar, grounded, just comfortable. So I'm curious, what is your understanding? And again, I know this was months ago now, but what's your understanding of why we're rolling out this new initiative? Because our scores, our data is not showing that all of our students are achieving it. Mm. That's what was communicated, at least. Mm -hmm. But we had only been using the other curriculum for two years, and it takes some time to implement something new before you see results. Yeah. You know, in a lot of ways, I really agree with you. I'm on board with a lot of that. This was a hard decision to make. So I want to stop us there. Maria and I are recording on a platform that allows us to see each other. And I kind of wish that all of you listening could actually see, because even though Maria was just being this teacher, there was a point there where I actually saw your face kind of change. And I think what I was really trying to demonstrate was the step from how to deal with resistance that was referenced in the earlier podcast episodes, the step of staying in relationship. And that was... I was validating, I was using paraphrasing. But when I said, I kind of agree with you, and this was a hard decision to make, that's when I noticed a change. And that was honest. And there's a lot of times when school leaders or coaches have to make choices that are hard to make. But when I think about how do I stay in relationship with somebody, it comes from having activated that compassion, activated the curiosity and not hearing everything that someone says as like, they're pushing back, they're pushing back. No, they're sharing something and they want to be heard. So any just quick reflections on what that very short snippet felt like for you? I always try to put myself, even though I'm a building leader, back into the shoes of what it's like to be in the classroom. And I could feel the internal landscape, the emotions being activated within me as I thought about it, that being me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes, again, if you remember that it's fear, sometimes people's fear can be turned down just one notch when really you're saying, yeah, I hear you, or I was torn too, or, you know, you've got some good points there. 
And then it begins to create a space where we can have a conversation. We might not agree in the end, but we might be able to hear each other's perspectives. And that might reduce the resistance or the fear. So that was really the beginning of what I would imagine would be probably an hour-long conversation. But again, I would be focusing on building relationship or staying in relationship. So let's move into another scenario. And this is one where, Maria, I'm going to invite you to be the principal. And imagine that we are in a PD session, and I'm a teacher, and I'm going to be the teacher who raises their hand and says, Maria, I know you are so well-intentioned, you love our kids and all, but this is just a waste of our time. This is a waste of our time. There's so much other stuff we need to be talking about. I'm just frustrated. What would you say? Help me better understand your perspective when you say this is a waste of time. You are introducing strategies that our kids can't access. They don't have the language skills. I mean, so many of them can't even sit still in their seats. I've said this and I feel like nobody hears me. We're still dealing with the two years of distance learning and disruption. And now there's just all this pressure about, you know, we got to make up for those years. So we got to do more and do more and do more. It's like the you're asking us to do something that is not going to have the impact that you want to see on kids. It's not. It's just a waste of time. I could see where you're coming from. I'm going to ask you to consider a different perspective. We don't know what sort of impact this will have or not on our students. So what might be possible if instead of listening through the this won't work, they can't do this, we use this opportunity to leverage each other's skill sets and experience to think about how can we bridge the skills and content that this curriculum is delivering while also meeting our students where they're at? Do you think that that would feel more relevant? I guess I just have to be honest. Like, I feel like I came into this profession to teach kids and I don't feel like I did that during COVID. That was not what happened in distance learning. And that's why I'm a teacher. And maybe I don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be very helpful. But I'll just, I'll be quiet. I'll go along with the group if that's what we want to do. No, listen, I appreciate your perspective and glad you shared it with it. It sounds as if you really, you just want to feel like you're making an impact, that the hard work that you're doing every single day matters and is helping students move forward. So I'll just close this section because I'd love to have further conversation with you to just remind us all that we're also teaching the whole child. So although this curriculum is the focus of what today's session is, we also have to think about the whole child and all of their needs. And I'm hearing from you that that is something we need to have further conversations about moving forward. Did I get that right? And I'm gonna cut our role play right there. What I wanted to surface was, and you heard it, was that, again, it's a core human need to have meaning or impact or purpose. 
And I think that's one of the needs that I feel like I hear a lot of educators feeling like they're not able to meet that need. They're not able to do what they came into the teaching profession to do. And that generates a lot of fear and that can show up as resistance. It's a hard one when someone's demonstrating that kind of fear in a whole group. I was like, would that be something that I would address? How do you address it with the whole group? Because the other thing that I've experienced both as a teacher and as a coach is when one person is having an issue but nobody else is. And Mm -hmm. you see everyone else start to kind of like check out. They're like, oh, she's hijacking the meeting again. She's here with her own needs. And I wonder what in that kind of a situation where someone says this is a waste of our time, what it would be like to say, hey, can I do a quick poll here of everybody like Mm -hmm. sideways or thumbs down? Like, do you want to dig into the purpose of this now as a whole group? I can put the agenda aside. We can dig into this. Like maybe the purpose isn't clear. If it's like, this is a waste of our time, makes me think that's lack of clarity about purpose or relevance, right? Love that. Yeah, like responding in the moment, but also I would say kind of like polling the whole group. Maybe everybody is like, yeah, I really feel a disconnect from the joy of teaching. I feel like I'm not having an impact. I'm feeling really sad about that. And maybe that's what needs to be talked about. And that's where knowing the organizational conditions is so critical, right? Because it could be that. It might also be that this is someone who has the confidence to voice what everybody is thinking, Mm. but not wanting to say. And so being able to read the situation and know the humans that you are trying to work alongside and also lead. Yeah. It also makes me think that this is a scenario where there may have been some prevention possible Even if you're wondering, like, are people going to think this is a waste of time is in the information that you share before the session where you're talking about the why and the purpose and the relevance and the connection to other things. And even doing a quick poll and asking people, how relevant does this topic feel to you? And that way you're not walking into a situation which it might be hijacked again. Okay, let's jump into another scenario because I've got five and I want to see if we have time for all of them. There's so many scenarios in which we face pushback. So this is a situation in which I'm going to be the coach and I'm going to be facilitating a session. And I notice that you, Maria, pull out a book and start reading during the session. So I am noticing this. People are working in small groups together and you've just kind of like turned away from your group and you're reading a book and your group is kind of ignoring you. So I'm going to come up and crouch down so that I'm roughly at face level. And I'm going to say, hey, Maria, I notice you are reading during this group activity, what's going on? Yeah, I already know this content. So you know, it's a better use of my time to to just sit here and read. I mean, I'm here taking in the information. Hmm. You know, I actually love that you already know this content because many of the teachers on staff don't. And so that's actually why I've designed this jigsaw activity so that folks can teach each other. And 
I'm curious if that might feel more compelling to participate in this with your small group to be able to share what you know about this content. Oh, yeah, I'll participate when the group is ready. I've already finished reading my jigsaw, so I'm just waiting till they're done. Okay, so I think maybe I didn't explain process clear enough because your group is actually already sharing with each other and they're already talking about the reading. And so maybe I wasn't clear in explaining it. And I'm just kind of thinking back about our community agreements and wondering whether those feel meaningful to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm here a part of the staff. I want to do the work. I'm ready to share the summary of my section. So that's good to hear. And I really want to invite you to draw on your expertise. And also, I would love your feedback. If any portion of this learning activity doesn't feel clear, or it feels, even if you feel like, you know, it makes me think about As a teacher, I felt like I was really good at differentiating instruction for kids and for the kids who needed a little extra, an extension, I could give them that. And I'm thinking maybe I haven't done that as well in this agenda, in this learning experience. And so, you know, if at any point you feel like I'm really familiar with this already, can you push me? Can you stretch me a little bit? Like, please let me know. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, I would love to have an opportunity to have my voice heard and give input. I think there are many of us here who feel we aren't asked. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for that feedback. Yeah, that's making me really think about how I design these PD sessions. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to meet with me in the next couple weeks to talk about the upcoming sessions and to get your input. And I hear there's other people too. So maybe you and I could meet and then we could create a plan for involving others. I think that would feel good. I'd like that. Okay, we'll stop that right there. Anything else you want to comment on about that? I was trying to channel some of my learning experiences where I potentially was that person or when I was leading and I encountered that person. And in both of those instances, there was this compelling sense of disempowerment that this is being done to me rather than with me. And so that's really who I was trying to channel. And I've been thinking a lot about that as of late with regards to the work I do day to day, to what degree do I seek input and voice in the creation of, and not just in the moment or after the fact. There's so much you can do before. Again, we're coming back to right. What I was trying to also demonstrate was, um, the way that you can be kind of honest and vulnerable in the moment and be like, yeah, I didn't think about that, or that could be the case, or maybe I didn't differentiate. And that's hard. Again, you have to first confront your own fears, like someone's criticizing me, I didn't do a good job here. And that intersects with something that you were more explicitly just reflecting on, which is the power dynamics, which is something that we explore in the Artful Design and Facilitation Workshop and that is explored in the PD book. And power is always present. And when you're in a position where you have more different kinds of power, let's say, you really need to be aware of that and how you use it. And how you respond when people, in this case, you know, push back or demonstrate fear. 
Yes, all of the statements that you gave examples of, I think, have come out of my mouth in the past two weeks. It's real. And it's so powerful because that's where I think transformation in a system can occur. Mm. When power with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we'll do one last scenario. And this is going to be a conversation with your boss, someone who has more positional power, after a session when it was clear that maybe the information wasn't explicit, there was an investment from staff, you know, so you want things to go differently next time, you need to check in with your boss. How about if in this scenario, I'm a coach and you are my principal and you had asked me to facilitate a meeting or a PD session with the English department and it didn't go well and I'm going to come back to you and get your support. Okay. Okay. So, okay, Maria, thanks for meeting because I just had a really hard PLC with the English department. I felt like I was really clear on the curriculum that we want to adopt for next year. I thought, I just thought they'd be excited about it because to me, it seems really great. Um, But they had so many questions and they had all these questions that when they were asking them, I realized like, oh, I think this is a question for Maria. These are things like, I didn't feel like I had the authority to answer and then they just started then they started sort of questioning things like don't you and Maria collaborate don't you like I felt like they were attacking me like they thought I didn't know what we were doing or um and then it just kind of got worse in a sense and they were saying you know how can you be the coach when you don't really understand the reason for us adopting this and And one of them said, like, I'm not going to name names, but one person was like, you know, whose side are you on? Are you on admin side? Are you on teacher side? Teachers don't want any changes. We don't want a new curriculum. So just kind of, and then I felt like I was like thinking, you know, I was like, student scores are so bad. We got to do something different. And then they were saying, well, it's not our fault. So um, I kind of don't know what to do. And I also feel like I guess I feel like for the next meeting, you should be there. Or maybe I feel like you should have been there. So the session didn't go as you had hoped. There were questions posed that you didn't have all the information to be able to answer. And people were questioning your skill set and our collaboration. Which of those areas do you think would be most helpful to explore today? The questions that were posed, the perception um, around the comments that the staff said towards you in relationship to your skill set, or how we might better partner moving forward and how I can support you. Well, honestly, I think I'm first, I appreciate you it really helped. I feel like a little clear, just helping you, hearing you organize everything I just said to you. I think we need to talk about all of them. And I guess I just am, I guess I want to start with like, could you be there for the next meeting? 
I mean, maybe we need to talk about it, but I think first I just need to know, like, is that even a possibility? Of course, I'd be happy to be there. And I think prior to that, it would be critical for us to have a conversation about if one of the things they're questioning is our partnership or how we're calibrating our information, it may be important for us to do a co-delivery or a co-presentation. So not just have me there in presence, but have us partner and plan prior to that so that we're both clear on the desired outcomes and how we might embed some of the questions that came up. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that sounds right. I do feel like there's just like so many things. I mean, their questions about collaboration did make me think that I don't feel like we meet often enough. I don't feel like we have enough structures. It's It feels very haphazard. Our leadership team is kind of in a state of flux right now because of all the changes in staffing. And so one of the requests I'd like to make is that we have more regular meetings and that we consider the structures and really consider our collaboration. Because when they said that, I kind of felt this painful like truth, like, yeah, I don't think we do collaborate. So is that something we can also work on? Yeah, I'm on my way to my next meeting right now, but let's get a date on my calendar before I walk away. And if you could come to that meeting ready with some structures that you think would be helpful, I would appreciate that. Yes, I can. In fact, I can sketch out an agenda for that meeting. All right, let's take out our calendar. (laughs) Okay, that one felt like to me, I was like, oh my God, I'm having flashbacks. (laughs) That was one that was too realistic. But what was so interesting was you immediately heard me like and took a coaching stance. But then I also was like, I need to be clear on my asks. I need to be really clear and direct about like, this is actually what I need. Yeah. And I think as a boss, right, or a leader, It's not an either or. You can be a boss and take a coaching stance. And it seemed in that moment the most appropriate way to think about moving the initiative forward while also building your own confidence about what I was asking you to do. Yeah. And I, you know, I said it was felt really realistic because I think coaches are so often in this weird middle ground. They're not admin, but they're not seen as teachers and they kind of go in between. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do have to coach up and we do have to be explicit about what we need. And we have to think about, okay, so I'm going to need this or I'm going to need that. Or yes, I can take a lead and create the agenda for that meeting. And also the realistic part was sometimes you also need someone that you can process with and you can get some support from. Okay. I just kept thinking about so many of the things that we've been talking about as like, this is, you reference the gaps concepts, you know, the mind, the gaps, like, yes, this is a skill. This is a knowledge piece. This is an emotional intelligence piece. All of these components of that framework, which when we work on, and again, this is the skills that we help people build in the Art of Coaching Teams workshop and in Artful Design. When we work on those and we actually not just read the books, because that's good learning, but it's a passive learning experience. But when you actually start practicing the skills, you see quick shifts in your leadership or your coaching. And so it's just making me think about how many of things you and I talked about that are like, it's not a quick fix. It's not like, just say this thing that Maria just said, or that I just said, it's actually 
learning the self-awareness skills, and then having the frameworks, because you also referenced and mentioned a whole bunch of different concepts and frameworks, and then being able to engage those in the moment. That's the demonstration of the integration of learning is when you can actually draw on that knowledge and skill and say something in the moment that reflects that knowledge. So for folks listening who are like, yes, I want to develop these skills because, oh, they make such a difference. I know for myself, when I was a coach and felt like I faced so much resistance, it was just exhausting. It was so draining. And I felt like I wasn't fulfilling my need to have purpose and meaning and to have impact. And so for folks who want to build those skills, we've got some learning experiences in which you can do that. And you'll find the links in the show notes. And Maria is a co-facilitator of the Art of Coaching Teams Workshop. So Maria, as we close, any final comment or thought you want to share about responding to resistance in group settings? The concept on how to best respond with it's an individual versus a group, I think I encourage people to think really deeply about your conditions, how well you know the people in your context, and how you might respond if one of those things happens. Because it requires practice. And the more that you practice possible scenarios, the better you build a muscle memory and the more confidently you can answer in the moment when it does happen. Um, And just that it's hard sometimes to activate compassion and to activate curiosity, but it's precisely those dispositions that can help soften what we perceive as resistance and open a pathway to explore humanity. Yeah. I think I wanted to say like, it can be hard. It is hard sometimes, but it doesn't have to be hard and it can actually be so much better. It can be really good. And I do think that one of the great benefits of our workshops is the opportunity to talk to other coaches and leaders where you can both have compassionate listeners. You can get some, you know, cathartic release when you share your stories. And then you can hear from other people that, yeah, it can be different. It can be better. It can be easier. That's something that was really helpful to me when I started having people that I could talk to about what I was experiencing and I could feel listened to and supported, and then I could get inspired. So I think that's also something that happens in our learning experiences. Maria, thank you so much for engaging in this conversation with me. Thanks, Elena. All right, friends, thanks so much for listening. Again, share this episode with somebody if you found it useful. And finally, if you haven't yet rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, It takes maybe a minute and it's super, super helpful. And I do read all of those reviews and I really appreciate them. All right, folks, this podcast is produced by Leslie Bickford and Stacey Goodman does the sound engineering. And you know what? There's other folks on my team who are also part of creating the transcripts and getting this out there to you. And so this is a joint effort. Take care, everyone. And I hope you're back here next week.